It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is Steve Ford standing in for Pastor John Bornstein. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As you recall, during our last broadcast, we were speaking with our brother Dysup Han regarding the Billion Soul Harvest. Remember that you can get more information by visiting their website at billionsoulharvest.net. Please pray with me as we get the show rolling today. Our Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful to be here today. We thank you for the wisdom and the guidance and direction that you've given us through your word, your scripture, your prophets, and especially your Son. May everything that we talk about today be done to your glory and in your name and be an act of worship. Open our hearts and minds to receive all that you have for us today. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Well, today is our second and concluding discipleship episode that we've titled, So You Want to Be Like Christ. This is based on a book by Pastor Chuck Swindoll with the same title. He calls this An Invitation to Live Life as Christ Intended. Based on his book, we will talk about how to achieve the relationship that we all so long for with our Heavenly Father. It involves the following disciplines, intimacy with Him, simplicity, silence and solitude, surrender, prayer, humility, self-control, and sacrifice. On this journey, our focus or our mission statement are the words of the Apostle Paul. He speaks about Jesus in Philippians 3.10. This is from the Amplified New Testament, and it reads, For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may, in that same way, come to know the power coming from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. We continue today with the discipline of surrender. Last time, we ended talking about the importance of surrendering our possessions to God. In Psalm 24.1, we read, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. In other words, everything that we have belongs to the Lord. We're just stewards over it. Surrendering our possessions will help free us from the burdens of materialism and greed. Once again, we see that everything that God asks us to do is for our own best interest. Next is to surrender our position to God. Well, through the years, I, I've heard so many stories, I'm sure you have too, regarding people from different professions who died not long after retirement because the essence of who they were could not be separated from what they did. We need to deliberately refuse to allow any position or title to determine who we are or what we are worth. We need to find our security, our identity, and our contentment in Jesus Christ alone. Next is surrendering our plans. We read in James 4, 13, 16. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, 
if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. The Old Testament is full of examples of people receiving direction from the Lord. In First Chronicles, David asks about attacking the Philistines, and God answers. In Acts 16.6, we see the Holy Spirit directing Paul away from preaching the gospel in Asia. Should we marry? Where should we live? What school should our kids go to? Where should we attend church? Where should we vacation? There is no decision too small to take before the Lord. And lastly, we surrender our people to God. And I think sometimes this can be one of the most difficult things to surrender. This is a quote from Chuck Swindoll. He says, hold the people you love loosely. I'm thinking especially of your children, your parents, your friends who mean so much to you. Accept the fact that nothing this side of heaven is permanent, including relationships. If they don't end, they will certainly change. Enjoy the time you have with your loved ones, but avoid the temptation to cling. Now, the first time I heard Chuck mention this, I was listening to a radio broadcast of one of his sermons, and he related that he was given this advice from Corey Tenboom. Some of you out there may recall she's the author of The Hiding Place. She lost her family and friends from the Netherlands during World War II as they sheltered Jews from the Nazis. She wound up in a German concentration camp. Well, to sum up the topic of surrender, Chuck cites his years of experience as a pastor and states, Surrender results in surprises that we would never otherwise experience. And the greater the struggle to surrender the greater the surprise. I think there's a lot of wisdom here, so I'd like to read it again. Surrender results in surprises we would never otherwise experience, and the greater the struggle to surrender, the greater the surprise. The next discipline that I'd like to talk about is prayer. Prayer is really, it's the act of calling out to God. So how are we to understand prayer as a spiritual discipline? How does it make us like Christ? How do we get to know him better through it? And what are we supposed to do? One thing that may help us is defining the purpose of prayer. And didn't Jesus connect with God through prayer to help transfer God's will, the Father's will, into his life? Oh, well, yes, he did. In John 5, 19, we hear Jesus saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Throughout the gospel narrative, we are presented with a praying Jesus. Frequently, he's going off by himself to pray. Through prayer, we are to collaborate with God to accomplish his goals. What an amazing honor and a blessing that the God of the universe would partner with us. As we discussed at the beginning of today's program, these disciplines build on each other. Think about what we've already discussed. Intimacy with God simplicity, silence and solitude, and surrender. And think about how important they are to prayer. Prayer must be God-centered, not self-centered. We again follow the example of Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we hear Jesus say in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Yet not my will, but yours be done. As we read last week, right, we are also told by Jesus in Matthew 6, 5-8, what prayer is not. He said, And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be seen by others. 
Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. We also see in Scripture that God intends for us to use the discipline of prayer as a tool against worry. In Matthew 6, 25-33, we hear the words of Jesus, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Instead of worry... Pastor Swindoll suggests that we pray the following prayer, and I absolutely love this. Charles Stanley at this point would say, now watch this. Lord, this is your problem to fix. Let me know what you want me to do if I'm to be involved in the solution. By leaving it with you, I will consider it solved. I want to read that again. This is such a great prayer. Come unto me, all ye who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, this is your problem to fix. Let me know what you want me to do if I'm to be involved in the solution. By leaving it with you, I will consider it solved. Amen. So often we hear ourselves saying, well, I guess all we can do is pray. We need to make prayer a priority, the first thing that we do. Well, for years, I taught my children our family motto, improvise, adapt, and overcome. I like to joke that when I was a kid, it was when in danger, when in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. Either way, through the years, I've added to the improvise, adapt, and overcome and put pray at the beginning of that. Remember Paul writing to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 6? He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. As if conflict with flesh and blood or the world system are not enough to mobilize us to pray, we battle in the spiritual realm as well. We need spiritual armor. We need spiritual weapons to do spiritual battle.
part of utilizing this armor is prayer. We are to be praying at all times. Richard Foster, the theologian and author, says it well. Nothing is more central to the spiritual life than prayer. For prayer ushers us into perpetual communion with the heart of God. And there are many things to learn about this life of constant conversation with the Holy One. But we must beware of making things too complicated, like children coming to their parents, so we come to God. There is awe, to be sure, but there is also intimacy. We bring our heart cries to a loving father, like the mother hen who gathers her chicks under her wings, so our God cares for us, protects us, and comforts us, like in Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven. So no matter how much we study about prayer, let us forever come as children to a loving Abba who delights to give and to forgive. But we might ask, what about unanswered prayer? Well, like in the Garth Brooks song of the same name, how many times, how many times have we wound up praising God for not answering our prayers in the way we wanted him to? No disrespect to Garth, but God always answers our prayers. Sometimes it may be a no, sometimes a yes, and other times a wait. This is another Charles Stanley, now watch this moment. I love this quote from Tim Keller, talking about our prayers and and God's will. Tim Keller says that because God is a loving Heavenly Father, that when we pray, quote, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. So once again, God in his omniscience, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. We see then that our goal in prayer, really when distilled to its finest, is intimacy with the Almighty. Our next discipline is humility, bowing low. Pastor Swindoll points out in his book that while many consider humility a virtue, it's also a discipline. He states that as a discipline, we can measure our success in humility. But as a virtue, we can't. In other words, from a virtue standpoint, as soon as we think we're humble, we're not. So let's start by defining the terms. A virtue is a behavior showing high moral standards. A virtue is a behavior showing a high moral standard. Discipline, at least as we're using the term, is training in a certain type of behavior. So virtue, behavior of a high moral standard. Discipline, training in a certain type of behavior. Humility is the discipline of putting others before ourselves. Humility is absolutely not the result of having low self-esteem, putting ourselves down, or overemphasizing our faults. God knows them very well. We don't have to list them for him. We can cultivate humility. It should involve an honest assessment of our God-given strengths as well as our weaknesses. It is an attitude that puts the needs of others before our own. In Philippians 2, 5-11, the Apostle Paul writes about the humility of Jesus. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Likewise, in 1 Peter 5-5-7 we read, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Isn't the real essence of humility captured by the golden rule in Matthew 7.12? It says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Interestingly, this is not just avoiding harming someone, but rather a call to servant-like action. Jesus gave up everything for us, became a servant. He even washed his disciples' feet. Let's go and do likewise, especially within the body of Christ. The next discipline is self-control. We see in various letters of the Apostle Paul the term, quote, the flesh, unquote. Sometimes it is clear that he's referring to the physical body as in Philippians 21 to 24, where he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to part and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. At other times, it can be confusing as to whether Paul is speaking about the body, the spirit, or both. For those times when Paul is speaking about that evil desires, the godless desires that arise within us, John Piper defines the flesh as any human action or achievement without dependence upon the Holy Spirit and without glorifying in Jesus Christ. So the flesh, the godless desires within us, can be defined as any human action or achievement without dependence upon the Holy Spirit and without glorifying in Jesus Christ. In Romans 7.14-20, we read of Paul's and our struggle with self-control. I love this because this makes Paul so relatable. It's so easy to put him up on a pedestal, but he was human just like us. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So what does Paul say about this battle, this civil war raging in in all of us between following Christ or following our own godless desires? In 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27, he states, Do you not know that in a race 
all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, but they do it to receive a perishable wreath, we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This struggle, this civil war that we're talking about, reminds me of the lyrics in the song Slow Fade by Casting Crowns. It reads, Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the string. So it's not necessarily the first glance, the temptation that brings us down, but rather how we respond to it. There's nothing we can do about the temptation, but it's the second glance that will bring us down. The lyrics go on to say, It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. And thoughts invade, choices made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. We need to go back again to our example, Jesus Christ. There is no greater example of self-control than Jesus. We hear again from Richard J. Foster, this time talking about the self-control manifested by Jesus. He says, have you ever noticed the number of times Jesus refused to use power? He refused to dazzle people by jumping off the pinnacle of the temple in Matthew 4 or 5. He rejected the temptation to make more bread to validate his ministry in John 6.27. He refused to do many wonderful works in his own hometown because of the unbelief of the people, Luke 4.16-27. He said no to the Pharisees when they demanded that he give a sign to prove that he was the Messiah in Matthew 12.38. At his arrest, Jesus said that he could have summoned a whole army of angels, but he did not in Matthew 26, 53. Closing this chapter in the book, Chuck says, So you want to be like Christ? Refuse to surrender to the flesh. Instead, let us surrender to the Spirit and let him live his life through us. I think that really says it all. Our last discipline to discuss is sacrifice. We'll begin by reading some familiar verses from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This well-worn saying about being living sacrifices is that we have a really bad habit of crawling off the altar. I know from my own experience. I think it may be helpful to break down the areas of sacrifice. If we can break them down into relational and possessions, relational sacrifices are like the story of Abraham and Isaac. It'd be easy to see how Abraham could love Isaac. Above all else, after all, wasn't Isaac the key to the blessings that God promised? In Genesis 12.1.3 we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, 
and I will dishonor those who curse you. And in your family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Loving Isaac above God would have been a form of idolatry. We too may be asked to turn over to God someone we love. It may be a friend that is leading us away from God, or it may be a family member that he can take care of better than we can. The second type of sacrifice is in regards to our possessions. One of these possessions can be our time. It's very valuable. I don't know if there's much more valuable to us than that. It can also take the form of financial possessions or our stuff. We covered this when we talked about the discipline of surrender in regards to our possessions. Remember Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the, the world and all those who dwell therein. We read in Timothy 6, 6-11, But godliness with contentment is of great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. In the closing paragraph of his book, Chuck writes, God patiently awaits for us to sacrifice ourselves in small amounts, one decision at a time, one day at a time, so that we might enjoy an ever-increasing intimacy with him. And this deeping intimacy with him will inevitably make us more like Christ. I think that's a good place for us to end. I'd like to thank our producer, Jack Hamilton, today, and I appreciate you listening. I pray the Lord has blessed you through his words today. Remember that you can listen to this broadcast again and others archived on the church website at calvaryfountain.com. This show is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley in Colorado Springs, Colorado, with services on Sunday at 8 and 10. May the Lord bless you and keep you until we meet again.